Well, we're in the book of Colossians today. It's one of the four prison epistles. Uh, we were in Ephesians and Philippians today. We're going to be in Colossians. A couple of weeks we'll be in Philemon. Those are the four prison epistles all written as Paul was in Rome uh, in a house arrest. He was there locked up along with others. And he wrote these letters to different churches and different people to encourage, to challenge, to lead, to guide. And so today the church that received this letter is the church at Colossae. Now, the church at Colossae is not a church that Paul founded. It's not a church that he went and started. He didn't even visit there that we know of. It's a church that was started by a guy named Epaphras who, who started that church. And Epaphras found himself actually in prison there in Rome with, uh, along with Paul. And so as he was there, he began telling Paul of all the great things that God was doing in the church at Colossae. But along with all the great things that God was doing in the church at Colossae, he also started telling Paul about some of the things, some challenges that were arising in the church at Colossae. Some things some, uh, were going on, some, some heresies that were being taught, some, some teachings, some philosophies and theologies that were uh, being delivered there that, that didn't line up with God's word. Things that, that were, ran counter to what uh, this message of the gospel is all about. And so Paul wrote this letter. And again, he wrote this letter probably about A.D. 62 or 63, somewhere around there. Wrote it about the same time. Tychicus and, and Onesimus actually delivered the letters to the church at Ephesus and the church at, at Colossae, as well as to uh, Philemon that we'll get to in a couple of weeks. But uh, Paul wrote this letter to challenge them to like stick to what is truth. And again, as I've said it last week and I said it the week before, like everything we're talking about was written to a church 2,000 years ago, but still relevant, still real, still important, because, man, there's nothing that they faced back there that we're not facing today. Every challenge that we read about in God's Word, every situation and every uh, heresy, every false gospel, every counterfeit gospel that we read about in Scripture is like in different forms, in different ways, still here, still real, still being challenged by it every day. And so we need to like understand truth. And this is what God's word was given to us to talk about. And so that's why Paul wrote this letter to deal with the dangerous heresies that were taking place. Because what they were doing is they were replacing Jesus with other stuff. And so there were a couple of different heresies that potentially were going on there at the church. One was a, a Jewish heresy, which basically was this idea of Jesus plus is where we found salvation. Like, in other words, Jesus plus works, Jesus plus following the law, Jesus plus eating certain things, or Jesus plus not eating certain, certain things. They were adding to this picture of the gospel, and so they were creating a false gospel, a counterfeit gospel that people were like leaning into. The other heresy that potentially, and I believe probably was the one that was more prevalent uh, that was going on at the Church of Colossae, was kind of this, this Gnosticism, this kind of this idea, this belief that, that there were certain individuals who had a higher understanding and a higher level of, of learning, uh, a higher mystical level of, of understanding that most people didn't have. And so these people, while they had this, this, this you know, extra knowledge or extra information, and they were kind of lording it over people, and what they were basically saying is that Jesus is not God. It was an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was a person, 
In fact, there's, uh, and I'm not going to get into it because honestly it gets boring and, and it, it gets, you know, when I was studying some of the stuff this week, it's like, you know, it can put you to sleep really quick. So I'm not going to get into it. But there was this idea of what's called a demiurge, which is basically that there was this God that created uh, another God that created another God that created another God. And Jesus was one of those gods that was created. And listen, it gets boring. If you want to just go read about it. Okay. But basically that Jesus was not God. And so that was the language, that was the message that was being delivered to the church at Colossae. And Paul knew that he had to deal with it because whenever a counterfeit shows up, it cheapens the value of the original. Does that make sense? In fact, it reminds me of a story of a guy named Carroll Shelby back in 1961. Now, Carroll Shelby was a guy who was a race car driver. I mean, he was a big deal, but he got towards the end of his career and he wanted to do something different. And he always had this dream of building a car. He always had this dream of creating something special, something like that would be faster and better than anything else. And so when about 1961, when at the end of his career, he heard that there was this car company in England called AC Cars. And they built this car called the Ace, which was a little sports car. It was a, it was a pretty little car, a beautiful car, but, but they were stopping making this car because the engine that they put in the car that they stopped making the engine. The engine was a Bristol engine. And, and because there were no engines, guess what cars need to run? An engine. Okay, you guys, you can't pull anything by and you guys, right? You have to have an engine for a car to go, right? And so the, they stopped making the engines. And so thus, they were going to stop making the car. And so Carroll Shelby had an idea. And so he wrote a letter to that company in England, that AC car company, and said, listen, I would love to like take your prototype, to take your car that you've been building, and I'd like to build something from it if you'd be willing to do that. And so they actually shipped him from England all the way to his factory in California. They shipped him a fully produced, fully put together car. The only thing that was missing from that car was the engine. And so he had an idea. He called Chevrolet and asked them if he could get an engine from them to put in this car. And Chevrolet said, absolutely not, because if we were to give you a car, I give you an engine to put in this car, then probably what would happen is we would create competition for the Corvette, right? So we don't want to do that. And so then what he did, he reached out to Ford. And Ford, of course, was mad about the Corvette. And so they wanted some competition from the Corvette. So they sent him an engine. And what he created was this car right here. And some of you have heard of this car before. This is the, the Shelby Cobra. Now, that car is like a pretty awesome car. I mean, it's a pretty amazing car. That car, if you got it right now, it could go to zero to 60 in like three something, 3.2 seconds, something like that, which, by the way, back then, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, in fact, there's a story that Carol Shelby, Shelby used to take a $100 bill, and he would put it on the, the, the dash of the car. And then he would tell someone driving the car, say, okay, I want you to put the pedal to the metal, like all the way down, like gun it. And if you can actually reach up and grab a hold of that $100 bill during the acceleration phase of, of when we take off from this line, you can actually have that $100 bill. And so he put that bill up on the dash and nobody could ever actually do it because of the, of the force. They were not able to actually reach up and grab it. I don't know if that's true or not. It sounds like a good story, but he, he built these cars. Now listen, if you wanted to buy one of those cars, which would be pretty cool. I mean, it's a good looking car. Like right now, the cheapest one you could probably find would be about $1.2, $1.3 million. Some have sold for up to $13 million at auction just a couple of years ago. So you think about like, man, the value, that's incredible. I mean, isn't that a beautiful car? You think that's a beautiful car? Show them the other picture. I mean, look at this one. I mean, that thing is just gorgeous. You'd love to drive that car. Now here's the only difference. That car that you're looking at is a Shelby Cobra 
kit. That car you can buy for about $19,000. And you put it together, and it, actually, it looks just the same, doesn't it? Put the old one back up, the other picture. Okay, their picture, now go back to the new one. Okay, so they look pretty close. You could jump in that car, drive $19,000. The other one, up to $13 million. And so what you see here is the kit has actually hit the value of the original. Because if you saw that driving down the road, you wouldn't know whether that was the original or not. That's the picture of why Paul wrote the letter to the church at Colossae. Because he knew that when a counterfeit message was being given, when a message that was a replacement for or a, a kind of an image of the original was being put forth, that it would actually cheapen, water down, lessen the value of the original. And so that's why he wrote this letter. Now listen, it was important then and it's important now because any time that there is anything that comes in that is attacking the veracity, attacking the integrity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, attacking the deity of Jesus Christ, anytime something like that is allowed into the church, it will destroy the original. And that's what took place then and that's what still is happening today. And so that's why he wrote this letter. And so he wrote this letter, Paul, to the church at Colossae to encourage them, like, guys, don't fall victim to this stuff. Now, he started it with his normal greetings, like, hey, this is Paul. I'm here with Timothy. We're writing you this letter. Pretty cool. We think you're awesome. We love you. We've never met you, but I mean, we've heard all great things about you. And we're praying for you. And we're praying, like, big things for you. And then he moves into some practical applications of things that we need to understand. Okay, and so that's what today we're going to be talking about because what he had here is he literally had like a message for the church on how to make sure that the counterfeit doesn't destroy the original. Okay, and so what he did right up front is going through those greetings in the first part of Colossians chapter one and then getting into that introductory phase. And then he moved into what even Matt talked about a few moments ago, a prayer. And in that prayer, he began kind of this practical and doctrinal application that we as a church need today. And he started with this idea of like, guys, you got to keep walking in God's will. You got to keep walking in his will. Look what it says in Colossians chapter one and uh, verse nine, the second part of verse nine and verse 10. Paul wrote this. We, remember, he's talking about like him and Timothy, they're in jail together. So we are not in jail together, but Timothy's with him. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. Now, that Greek statement there, knowledge, is, uh, it's kind of a Greek word that really kind of connotes the idea of like the deep, deep, deep understanding. It's not like just knowledge of. It's like going deep. It's like, it's the same word that's used in 1 Peter chapter 3 when Peter was talking about husbands and wives, that you, you know, that they're to know each other intimately. And that's not a, a physical relationship that's talked about, but like a, a spiritual and an emotional connection, an emotional intimacy that a husband and a wife should know each other better than anyone else, right? And so that's the image, the picture that, that Paul gives here is, guys, I, I, I pray and I hope, and man, we're longing for the idea that you would, would walk in the knowledge of God, filled with this knowledge, this deep, rich 
understanding of God, this intimate level of knowledge of God. Why? Because if not, you will fall victim to a lot of crazy stuff. That's why we gather together in churches every week. That's why we gather together in Bible studies. This past week, we, we got together at 6.30 on Tuesday morning with our men. We gathered together and we actually kind of spent some time in the book of Philippians. And this coming Tuesday, we're getting together at 6.30. And we're walking through, again, this book. We're walking through Colossians together Tuesday morning at 6.30 or 6 p.m. that night. I encourage you to come out. The ladies are meeting like at 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. And, man, just come out. That's the reason we do that. We want to know God better. We want to get to know him better and better and better. Why? Because every time that we grow closer to him, knowing more about him, it helps us to defeat and to combat what the world is throwing at us. And the world is constantly throwing at us a counterfeit gospel, a counterfeit Jesus. And so this verse, verse 9 and verse 10, Paul kind of uses this as a turning point in this letter. Remember, the first part, it's a greeting, like, hey, how are you? Good to see you. Hope you're having a great day, all that kind of stuff. And then, like, digging right into it, like, man, I'm hoping that you will walk worthy of this calling by knowledge of God, understanding of God, like, understanding who he is and what he's done so you can bear fruit, so you can do things for him. And it's important, church. Man, I've never been there, but, man, this is what I'm longing for you. Walk in his will. And as he says this statement, makes this statement of walking in his will, he then goes right on to the next verse and gives us the understand that when we walk in his will, we'll grow in his power. We'll grow in his power. Look what it says again, Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. Verse 11 says this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of his darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his son that he loves. In him we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so this idea that we will be strengthened, that we will have power because we are walking in the power of God, walking in the presence of God. We will grow in his power when we attach ourselves, connect ourselves to who Christ is. When that car arrived in California with no engine, he could have gotten in that car, he could have closed the door, put the hood down, he could have sat out on the curb, and man, everybody would have thought, man, that guy's got an amazing car. Man, look at that, that's awesome. Man, I'd love to hear him start it up and, and see how fast that thing goes. But when that car arrived in California, there was no engine. He could have sat there, he could have put the key in it, he could have turned the key, and nothing would have happened. The same thing is true in our faith. That if we do not attach ourselves, connect ourselves to the power of God in our lives and and understand who he is and what he has done and what he continues to do, we will not be strengthened. We will not gain power from what God wants us to understand. And that really is the idea of transformation. So when you come to know Christ, it's not just simply like, okay, I know Christ, I know about Christ, I know what he's done, and then we just keep on living our lives. The word here is transformation, that we are changed from being in the darkness, the domain of darkness in this world, and we have been transformed into the presence of light, into the kingdom of his son. That's what Paul's writing. And so we'll be transformed when we grow in his power. And how do we grow in his power? The very next verse, Paul begins to give us a picture, when we stand in awe of his presence. Look what it says in verse 15. Now remember, 
The heresy that's going on in this church here is a counterfeit Jesus. Like Jesus is not who we have heard he is. It's not who the apostles have been preaching. It's not the fact that he is the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He's just a good guy. He's a good teacher. He's a good rabbi. He's a good leader. He's a good example. He is not God, a very God. And so Paul gives us a picture that we've got to stand in awe in his presence. And in verse 15, he writes really what is a song. And this song that he's writing is all about the supremacy, the centrality of Christ in our lives. Like that Jesus is more than just a person. And there have been many songs written from this passage. In fact, one of them was written right here at Thomas Road that then went out and was number one in the world for a season. Uh, the God of the Ages was the name of that song. And it came right out of, uh, of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Let's listen to what it says. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Go back to verse 15. Put verse 15 up there if you would for a moment. It says, he's the image of the invisible God. Now, the Greek word there in image is the Greek word icon, which is where we get the word icon, like, right? So you know what an icon is, right? And so that word icon, that word image is literally kind of the idea for us. Like he is a photograph. He's a picture. You know, all of you guys have, you know, pretty much all of you guys have, you know, phones in your pocket that can take pictures, right? And you take pictures of everything. And you take selfies, like 180 selfies a day and all this kind of stuff. Like everybody has pictures, right? And so when you have, on my phone, I've got a picture of my granddaughter. And, you know, anytime somebody sees my phone, I pick it up. There's my granddaughter. That's an image of my granddaughter. And when I see that image of my granddaughter, like, man, it's a pretty amazing thing. And I love to look at her. I love to see her. And every time that, you know, Paige posts a picture of my my, my uh, granddaughter on Instagram or whatever it might be, I screenshot them and save them to my phone. Now, Paige said, you, you realize I can actually text that picture to you, right? It's like, that's not the same. You know? I, I want to have it on my phone because I want an image of my granddaughter so I can always be looking at this little girl that I love so much. But you see, back in that day, Paul used that word very strategically because guess what they did not have in AD 62? Can somebody tell me what they didn't have? They didn't have iPhones, right? They didn't have Androids. They didn't have cameras. And in fact, images were something back then that were actually something that you were not supposed to have. Go back in the Old Testament. What did Jesus say? What did God say in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments? Like, have no other God before me, right? That we're not to have graven images of God. We're not to have idols, right? I mean, that was something that was taboo. You could not do that. In fact, when, when Moses came off the mountain and Aaron had built that golden calf there, I mean, like, that was a bad day for the children of Israel. Because any time that they had an image of God, it was replacing God, and therefore that was a problem. 
And so Paul was using this language very strategically. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the icon of the invisible God. He is a picture of the invisible God. In other words, giving them the idea, this is different. You could not have an image in the Old Testament. You were not allowed to have a a carved image, a graven image of God back in the old days because that was blasphemy and that was idle. You couldn't do that. But now, Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, elevating him to a place and a position of power. There's something different about this Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. The second part of that verse, the firstborn over all creation. Now remember, the heresy was that Jesus was a created figure that had been created by another created figure who had been created by another created figure who then, going all the way back, at some point showed up back where God created, right? So that Jesus was like way down this line of of being begat, of like, like he was created by, created by, created by, created by, and then eventually, oh, and here's Jesus. And so when Paul writes this statement, again, very strategically, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, he was not trying to say that, you know, that Jesus was like the oldest. He wasn't trying to say like he was, you know, born before these other people. He wasn't trying to say that he was born like all the rest of us were born, even though he was born, you know, in a fleshly level in in the manger. We know that story. What he's saying, he was the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he was before everything. Again, to just nail home, to, to make sure everybody understood, like Jesus is different. Jesus is God. He was uh, attaching the deity of Christ to Jesus to make sure that they understood like Jesus is not someone that was created by, created by, created by. He was before anything was. And so Paul makes it clear in this statement, like he was the firstborn of all creation. But then he went on to say in this passage, in Colossians chapter one, this statement in these, this, this song that he wrote, he goes on down to say that, that, that all things have been created through him and for him. Now, what does that mean? Now, see, in that culture and in this culture, there, there came the kind of this idea that God is something that was created for us. Like, like God is the one that's going to take care of our problems and God is going to meet our needs and God is going to fix all the situations and the challenges and the issues and, and God's going to provide money when we need money and God's going to provide healing when we need to be healed. That, that God was created for us. And so this idea here that he wanted to make sure they understood is no, 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 no. All things were created by him, but also for him. And that was an important distinction because again, back in those days, as true today, They looked at this idea of God, this idea of Jesus even, is that this was something that was created so that we could actually get something from him. Francis Chan said it this way, Colossians 1.16 tells us that everything was created for God. But don't we live instead as though God is created for us? To do our bidding, to bless us, to take care of our loved ones. You see, the idea is that Jesus was created for us. But see, Jesus wasn't created. Jesus has always been before anything was. And and, and forever and for eternity, Jesus will be. And so this idea that he wanted to make sure they understood that Jesus is different. 
that go back to John chapter one, verse 14, that in the beginning was the word, but then verse 14, and in the, the word became flesh. So in other words, Jesus is God. So we got to make sure that we stand in awe of his presence. And when we stand in awe of his presence, Paul goes on in Colossians chapter two to give us the idea that we can then live strong in his truth. Why? Because of the heresies that were coming. Go back to Colossians chapter two and look at verse four. In verse four, it says this, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable for I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God, uh, God's nature dwells bodily in Christ and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Go back to verse nine, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Now that's the Greek word fullness, the Greek word pleroma, pleroma, which literally means like everything. In fact, Warren Wearsby described it this way, Pleroma can be defined as the sum total of all that God is, all of his being, and all of his attributes. So in other words, that in Jesus Christ is the fullness of God, everything of God. All that God is, is found in Jesus Christ. And so Warren Wiersbe goes on to say it this way, so then, if that's true, why then would you need anything else? He's making sure that church at Colossae is like, dude, stop running after all these empty philosophies. Stop being deceived by all the junk that is out there. And while he's writing this to a church at Colossae, he's writing it to you and me. Man, like, like stop being tricked. Stop being deceived. Stop allowing yourself to buy into all the junk that is out there that is a counterfeit that is trying to replace Christ with something else because everything that God is can be found in the person of Jesus Christ that we've got to make sure we stand on truth live strong in his truth because when we do that then we will stay committed to his plan look what it says in Colossians chapter 3 in verse 4 so if you have been raised with Christ seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The idea is like, get your eyes off of the things of the world and keep your eyes fixed on him. Running after Christ. Stay committed to his plan. Like, get your eyes off of the things of this earth. A.T. Robertson said it this way. Paul does not mean here that we should never think or never think the things upon this earth, but rather that these should not be our aim, our goal, or our master. The Christian has to keep his feet upon the earth, but his head in the heavens. He must be heavenly minded here on earth so that he can help to make earth like heaven. In other words, the picture of bringing transformation. Paul wrote this letter to the church of Colossae because the church of Colossae was being fooled. And I'm just going to tell you something. If the church at Colossae was being fooled, man, we are being fooled. Because the same stuff is going on. The same counterfeits are coming into the church. 
The same language is coming in. The same thoughts are coming in. Like if you'll only do this, you'll be a better Christian. And if you'll only do this, if you live this way, and if you follow after that person, or if you send money to this ministry, or if you do this or do that, then that's how we find salvation. We're all working to the same way, to the same place. We're all going to get to heaven. And you might believe in Jesus, or you might believe in Buddha, or you might believe in Muhammad, or you might believe in this or that. And all we're all working to the same place as long as you're sincere, and as long as you're focused, and as long as you're trying to help people and love people and wrap your arms around everybody no matter what they believe and what they think and just be inclusive and do all the stuff that we're working to the same place and what Paul wants us to understand is this Jesus is the way period he's the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the father except through him so stop being fooled and get your eyes on Christ. If Paul said it 2,000 years ago, man, how much more we need to hear that today. Put your eyes in the right place. He is the image of the invisible God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth that we find in your word. God, I pray that right now as we come to a couple of moments here where decisions can be made, where lives can be transformed and changed by the gospel, by the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us today to see what's real and to see what's right and to see what's needed. And God will give you the praise for it. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, in a moment we're going to gather, stand, we're going to sing together. Our, our team is gathering here at the altar. And today, thanks to the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit of God, man, you've heard the gospel again. You've heard it clear. You've heard exactly what Paul had to say, man. Do not allow yourself to be deceived by the stuff of this world. Don't let yourself run after the empty philosophies that the world has to offer. Don't get caught up in the junk that seems to be so prevalent. It's all about Jesus, period. It was true then. It's true now. And it will be true until the day we stand before him. Oh, and then by the way, it'll still be true then too. Because forever, for eternity, we will stand in the presence of God. And we will sing the words that we're about to sing. Christ be magnified. So if you're here today and you've never come to the place in your life where you have finally made the decision, I'm going to follow Christ. That you've now come to the place where you said, I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died, that he rose again. Man, today I believe that. As Romans chapter 10 says, call in on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. If you've not done that in a moment when we stand, I encourage you to come down and talk to one of our team members. We'd love to help you do that. Maybe you want to come down here and kneel here. Maybe you have allowed like the junk of the world to come in as a counterfeit. And maybe Christ is not like supreme in your life. Yeah, you're, you're a follower of Christ, and yeah, you believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died, that he rose again, but man, he's not that big of a deal to you anymore. Maybe you want to come and just kneel here and just say, God, I'm sorry, and I want to put you first. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you want to come for baptism or come for prayer. Maybe you want to come and join our church. Whatever God is saying to you, let's stand and let's sing. And the altars are open. And I ask you to move as the way in the way that God is telling you to move today. Scott, lead us this morning. Altars are open. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.